Well, we're in Nehemiah chapter 1 again, and Nehemiah is right after Ezra. Some of the copies are actually put together into one book, and then they're both after Chronicles because they're kind of connected in the minds of the organizers of uh, our modern order of the Bible because there's a list and things like that. So it's kind of connected to Chronicles, even though it's actually quite late um, in terms of the books of the New Old Testament um, after Isaiah and Jeremiah. And so, just to review what we went over last week, we just kind of did an introduction to Nehemiah, where it's at. Um, this is after both the northern and southern parts of Israel were exiled, and then in Ezra, uh, one of the kings um, let them come back. And then now Nehemiah is, um, he's the cupbearer to the king. And let's just read chapter 1 to start. Chapter 1 of Nehemiah, verse 1. The words of Nehemiah, the son of Hakaliah. Now it happened in the month of Chislev, in the tw- 20th year, as I was in Susa, the citadel, that... Hanai, one of my brothers, came with certain men from Judah, and I asked them concerning the Jews who escaped, who had, who had survived the exile, and concerning Jerusalem, they said to me, the remnant there in the, in the province who had survived the exile is in great trouble and shame. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down, and its gates are destroyed by fire. As soon as I heard these words, I sat down and wept and mourned for days, and I continued fasting and praying before the God of heaven. And I said, O Lord, God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments, let your ear be attentive and your eyes be open to hear the prayer of your servant that I now pray before you day and night for the people of Israel, your servants, confessing the sins of the people of Israel, which we have sinned against you. Even I and my father's house have sinned. We have acted very corruptly against you and have not kept the commandments, the statutes, and the rules that you commanded your servant Moses. Remember the word that you commanded your servant Moses, saying, If you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the peoples. But if you return to me and keep my commandments and do them, though your outcasts are in the uttermost parts of heaven, from there I will gather them and bring them to the place that I have chosen to make my name dwell there. They are your servants and your people whom you have redeemed by your great power and your strong hand. O Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of your servant and to the prayer of your servants who delight to fear your name. And give success to your servant today and grant him mercy in the sight of this man. Now I was cupbearer to the king. So, just again to kind of review a little bit more of what we talked about last week. We talked about how God cares for people that... God cares not only for the spiritual side of people, which kind of you could think of in terms of Ezra, right? They re, they were able to rebuild the temple. So here, spirit, you know, worshiping the one true God was allowed again. And this center of, of worship of, of God uh, in Jerusalem is restored. But God doesn't just stop there. God cares about every aspect of their life, right? So they have the temple, but the walls are broken down. And we talked about how messed up really the situation was where people could come in and we see it later on they're like let's just go in and let's just uh, kill some people and let's mess things up and so they didn't have protection they didn't have security 
and God cared about that too. And so God cares about all aspects of our life, spiritual, physical, emotional, uh, every, every piece of who we are, not just uh, spiritual. And, you know, this is, could be kind of an echo or a foreshadowing of what God's going to do in the new heavens and the new earth. That it, we're not just going to be, you know, on a cloud playing a harp for eternity. Where there's going to be a new earth, and you're going to have a real body, and it's going to be the fullness of what a life is, not just um, spiritual. You're going, everything is going to be restored. It's going to be like Adam and Eve in the garden, except per- perfected. And so there's going to be every piece. We're going to eat. We're going to sing. We're going to talk to one another. We're going to laugh. We're going to cry, and Jesus is going to wipe away our tears. And every, which kind of speaks to the emotional side of it, right? It's like, I kind of view that as like, we need some serious counseling coming out of like sinful, the sinful world, right? Like, I'm going to talk through some things, and there's going to be some tears, but Jesus is going to wipe them away. He didn't say there was going to be no tears. He said he's going to wipe away the tears. So that means there will be tears to be wiped. So... That's going to be really amazing. But God cares about all aspects of our life. And God works righteousness and justice for the oppressed. And so we see that Nehemiah here is appealing to God and saying, like, God, look what's going on. And you promised and, and come and, and work. Even though we've got the temple, but we need, like, security. And later on, Nehemiah basically tells the people, fight for your daughters and your sons and your homes and your wives. And that's kind of, in some ways, a good summary of Nehemiah. It's like, yeah, we can worship, but we, we don't have security. Like, my kids can't necessarily even eat the food we grow because people can just steal it. And so God cares about that. God works righteousness and justice for the oppressed. And so he's working. God cares. God's deeply concerned about every aspect of our life, sp- spiritual first, but then also every other aspect, physical, uh, mental, emotional, uh, how all that fits together. And... Not only does God care about it and is working to put it right, he will put it right. And so we see that, you know, uh, in Nehemiah what happens is they do build the wall. And it only takes them, uh, you know, less about two months. And so it was destroyed all this time, and yet God puts it all right. And that's kind of a good picture of God's judgment coming and then the new earth coming. Suddenly things have been messed up for so long since Adam and Eve, and a really long time, and then suddenly God's going to put it all right quick. And that's going to be wonderful. And so last week, all the whole thing was really about God. And that's who Nehemiah is appealing to. He's, he's, he's appealing to the God who promised to have grace, even though that part of this is a result of people's sin. He still cares. And so that's last week. And so you see last week was basically all about God. And then this week is going to be about our response to that, Nehemiah's response to who God is. And it's kind of really the two main the two main people in the Bible, right? God and people <laughs> and us, right? And so we see who God is, how much God cares. Now what about us? And so remember when we talked about what is God's word uh, in our last series, we said four things. God's word is bread because it feeds us. It's a mirror because it reveals us. It's a path because it gui- guides us. And it's honey because it delights us. So... It's bread because it feeds us, and it's honey because it delights us. That was kind of last week, right? It's like God cares about every single person, and he cares about all aspects of your life. When your car breaks down and it's a real inconvenience, when your boss is mean, uh, when, you know, 
a thousand things, uh, whatever it is in your life, God cares about every piece of it, which is really good news. And so there's God. That's bread because it feeds us. I mean, it's like, what a good God who loves and is gracious to sinners and wants to restore them, even though they brought the destruction on themselves. Praise God. <laughs> that, that, that is the case. What a good God. And that's what we see here in Nehemiah. And that's what we talked about last week. And that's honey, right? It's like a good thing to hear. God loves you even though you messed up. There's suffering in your life. Some of it's because of your own sin. God wants to restore even that. And he, he's offering. Turn to me and I'll put, it, I'll put things right. I'll forgive you of your sin and I'll restore your broken relationships. I'll heal you, which he will ultimately do. Uh, every disease is going to be healed. And so... God and people, the two main characters of the Bible. So honey and bread, you know, just good things. But the Bible's not just that. The Bible's not just, you know, why are we coming here? Why do we, you know, talk about the Bible? What's really my goal and, and what am I supposed to be doing here talking to you about the Bible? Is it just to tell you, just to give you honey? It's like, hey, I just let's listen to all these good things and make you feel real good. It's like, no. Well, the Bible, if it's God's word, it also challenges us. It's not just makes us feel good. It actually challenges us to grow and to be different, to be more like God and to live out more what God said and to lean into him more and to trust him more. And so then that's, um, you know, God's word is a mirror because it reveals us. It actually challenges us. And it's a path because it guides us. It's like, well, like, look, see who you are, but like, look forward. You could be different. Look at the way you can go. Look how um, you can be more like Jesus, more uh, walking with him. And so that's kind of the second half is this week, looking not just at God, who God is, but how that affects Nehemiah and how that should affect us. And so we see the God who cares deeply for every aspect of our life. Um, And then we see Nehemiah who reflects that. And so the first thing I want you to notice is that knowing how God loves changes people. Knowing God's love changes people. And you see Nehemiah here really reflecting the heart of God and as he's praying, pouring out these same feelings that God has towards us, right? God loves us. God loves all people um, and cares deeply, and it grieves his heart uh, to see people uh, abused, to see people lost and in darkness. You know, it says God works righteousness and justice for the oppressed. That's not just for his people. That's in general. God God hates all types of sin towards people whether they're lost people or not, whether they're Christians or not. God deeply cares about righteousness and justice, and God's going to put it all right. Everything is going to be perfectly weighed in the balance. And knowing how God loves people changes people. When we see who God is, that changes us. And for Nehemiah, it's the same as what we talked about last week, that Nehemiah cares about these people spiritually, and we'll see that later in the book, that there's some spiritual things that need to be put right. But he also cares about them physically, and he's hearing about how horrible it is, and he weeps, and he fasts, and he prays, and he mourned. And this is really the mark of people that really have met with God. Like, think about some verses from the New Testament. 1 John 3.17, we talked about last week. If anyone has the world's good and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? So you see both pieces. It's saying like, God sees people in need, and he doesn't close his heart against him. And if that's the kind of love that you're saying you have, you know God, and you've interacted with him, and you see people in need, 
and you just close your heart, how do you really know God? Do you really have his love? Or another from First John, very similar verse. There's no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear, for fear has to do with punishment. And whoever fears has not been perfected in love. And then listen to this. We love because he first loved us. And if anyone says, I love God, and hates his brother, he's a liar. For he who does not love his brother, whom he has seen, cannot love God, whom he has not seen. And this is the commandment that we have from him. Whoever loves God must also love his brother. So we see, why do we love people? It's because we've encountered a God who loves people. And that changes us. And you see Nehemiah here rooting all this uh, that he has, all this love for Jerusalem that he has in God. And that's what he's appealing. He's praying to God. That's where he's going to. And that's what he's, he's praying about is about how God loves his people and how God promised to deliver them. And so God's love changes people. And when we encounter this God, what the Bible is saying is that we should love people like he loves people. And that's part of rubbing up against a loving God is we become, we see that, we receive that, that's good news, that's honey, that's bread. But then we see, wow, I'm not really like that. I, when people sin and then misery comes upon them, I don't feel like deep compassion naturally. I think like, yeah, that's what happens when you do this, right? Whereas God, he has both. He knows, like, yeah, that's because of your sin, and I warned you, and yet I'm gracious, and I want you to come back, and I want to restore you, and I want to change you, and to, and to put things right. And so, what does it mean about us, you know? And so, just to put it in a 21st century setting, what basically happened here? He got news from far away in Israel. And what he, his response was, even though he grew up not from Israel, and probably his parents weren't, you know, lived in Israel, he's like multiple generation immigrant, so he's probably never even been to Jerusalem. He hears about how bad it is, and he weeps and mourns and fasts and prays. He fasts and mourns for days, and then he prays about it, we find out in chapter 2, for four months before the king talks to him about it. So it's like he has this deep response. And so what would it be like in the 21st century? Let me ask you this. When you watch the news, what's your response? Is it like, oh, interesting, something's going on in the Middle East. Oh, interesting, there's all these kids down at the border. Oh, interesting, there's, you know, uh, whatever's going on in Afghanistan and all these things. And then you move on. Or do you see those, the news as human beings, as people that we should love and pray for? Right? That's a big difference, right? To see difficulties going on. You, like we're, we're inundated with all this news, right? For him, it took months for this guy to come from Jerusalem. But for us, we've got all this news going on. How many times do you just stop and just pray for those people? Whether it's their own fault or not. I mean, we hear in the news all the time, politicians or celebrities or whatever, all this mess going on in their life because in oftentimes their own sin, they get caught. It's like, we can still pray. We can still pray for them. It's like, what, what, what type of person needs God's grace? Sinners like us <laughs> who mess up and need God to sweep in and clean their life up? We can pray. Whenever we hear about these things far off in the distance, you know, is it like, well, yeah, we shows the Democrats are wrong. Or is it like, wow, those are real people and I need to pray for them? 
or vice versa. Shows the Republicans are wrong. Um, and Or is it, man, I really care about individuals. I'm going to pray for the kids at the border. I'm going to pray for this politician's son who's living a messed up life. I'm going to pray for whoever it is because they're people. That's different. And that's really how Nehemiah responds, right? He responds to the news not as just like, oh, this is just more news. Uh, oh, that's sad. But as human beings who God cares about and therefore I care about. And so that's one thing. Is like, is that our response? Um, and the reality is, is every time we get sad news, we can't pray and fast for four months. <laughs> or we would all be dead in four like a year from now because there's sad news all the time coming through, right? And so I'm not saying that you have to respond every time with equal intensity, but is there a tear? Is there, has there ever been a tear watching the news, you know, for people that you've never met? Or um, is there at least prayer going up, you know, uh, for these people, for human beings who don't know God or in difficult situations? This is what a person interacting with God is like. What a difference that would really make in the world, right? If we taught our kids as our kids grew up, you know, and we hear about things going on in different places, and our responses were, hey, let's pray for them. Like, uh, we saw this, uh, you know how there's ads on YouTube now? <laughs> Actually, that makes me sound old, probably. <laughs> um, probably there's been ads on YouTube for like 10 years, I don't know. But um, anyways... There was like this ad, and it was a kid who had cancer, and it was like, give money, enjoy. We were going to watch some, you know, video, probably some Disney song or something. And we just stopped and we prayed for that girl, you know, because it said her name. It's like things like that, little opportunities to pour into your kids. Like, let's, these are human beings that, that God cares about, and let's pray for them, and let's model that when we encounter these things. Uh, these are people. And... And so we, we want to do that because that's how God was towards us, right? The reason we do this is, you know what God is really, really good at? Treating every person like a person. God cares about every human being on the planet. And he actually thinks about each one of them as a person, not just as somebody off in the distance. He actually knows them intimately. And you know what? We could be like that. Not that we know them but that strive and ask God to help us every time we hear about a human being to actually think about them as a human being that is valuable in God's sight, that we can love, that God cares about, that God's not indifferent to, that God's heart, you know, aches, you know, for all these different situations going on. So, and we see that in Nehemiah. You know, a 21st century example is you go to your friend's house and, you know, the news is on and he starts crying. And he's like, we've got to pray. How would you respond? You know, It's like, wow, that's different. At least that's the way we want to be. You know, uh, Not just have the news on all the time as just kind of entertainment, infotainment or whatever, but love. Uh, love people. And you know the good news? God promised to help us. That's the second part. Knowing God's love empowers people. Knowing God's love doesn't just change us and help us love others. It empowers us uh, to love other people. Because you know what? Can we love each person on the news in our own strength? Nope. <laughs> it's like we're going to fail, right? We need God to help us. We need help from the outside. We need somebody to come in and change us and make us new. Listen to this verse from Daniel. It says, 
The people who know their God shall stand firm and take action. Daniel 11.32 That really summarizes Nehemiah really well. It's like in response to who God is, we can stand firm and we can take action. And that's really this, you know, this message is, well, it's a challenge to love more and to see where we're short on love and to be different. How do, how do we do that? Well, it's all response to last week's message of who God is and how much he loves and how he's gracious, how he is compassionate. And so when we know him, that empowers us to take action. Uh, 2 Timothy 1.7 says, 2, uh, Tim, yeah, 2 Timothy 1.7 for God gave us a spirit not of fear, but of power and of love and self-control. So think about those first two. God gave us a spirit of power and love. Wow, that's what God is giving us when he comes and he washes us of our, with his blood and gives us a new heart and he fills us with the Holy Spirit. It's a spirit not just of love, but power and love. God's going to help us. God's going to empower us to love people and make a difference. It's not just um, it's not just that Nehemiah loved these people and he mourned and fasted. He actually did take action and he did, he did pray and God really did something and God actually changed the situation. It's not just um, empathy. It's more than that. It's action on our part. We see these things going on and we take action. The first thing we can do is just pray. And that is an important action to take because God can change it. God can hear the prayers going up for all the issues going on in our world. I mean, well, I'll give you just one um, that I saw that, you know, um, this issue of abortion is up before the Supreme Court, and I don't know how long it takes them, probably a year or something uh, long, uh, but that this case that could overturn Roe v. Wade is before the court, and it may be six months or whatever the next session before they decide something, but we can be praying, and that actually matters deeply. Uh, we can pray, God, please have mercy on our nation, and uh, just hear the cries of all of your people, but also the innocent blood that's been shed, and we can pray. And that does something. God cares. Oh, got a little uh, example from history here. Uh, Diedrich Bonhoeffer, this is a good biography, I feel like history and theology, kind of good mixture of both. But he lived in Germany during World War II and before. And got a little uh, example here from his life that really gives this feel of God. God empowers, God's love empowers people. So, just so you kind of have some background, he he was a theologian. He wrote books about God, and he had gone actually over to England. And what brought him back over one thing really affected him, and the thing that really affected him was I'll just read you the exact quote, so I don't mess it up. So he was over there in England. He had this pretty nice job, secure, and what a provision from God in a way, you think, to be over in England, you know, away from 
Germany, and there was a lot of religious persecution going on. But this is what really affected him. He said that he was at breakfast with all these other Christians, and then they prayed together. And he said, I was almost overcome by the short prayer, the whole family, and knelt down in which we thought of the German brethren. So basically, he's with these other Christians, and they're like, let's pray for the Germans. You know, here's Bonhoeffer, he's from Germany, and we know they're being persecuted. Let's kneel down and pray. And they pray for like 10 seconds or 20 seconds, and they all get up. And he, he said he could hardly take it. <laughs> it's like, man, let's pray some more, you know? Like, that was too short. Like, these are people. And uh, he had friends, you know, that were had been in prison for years at this point. Um, and he ends up feeling so connected to the church in Germany that he he goes back. He's like, I can't stay away. Like, I've got to go and support. And you feel the love there. But... Um, that he had for his for his fellow Christians in Germany. And here's a good example of how, as he came back, how that love empowered him. Um, this is what he said. Again and again, uh, people write about Bonhoeffer and his demeanor during the air raids, how he was a comfort and a bulwark to those around him when everyone believed death was at hand. But his strength was borrowed from God, and he lent it to others. Because Bonhoeffer was not afraid to share his weaknesses and fears, the courage he expressed can be seen as real. He seems genuinely to, genuinely to have entrusted himself to God, and therefore had no regrets or real fears. And this is what he says in a letter. The greatest task during the coming weeks and perhaps months may be to entrust each other to God. If we survive during these coming weeks or months, we shall be able to see quite clearly that it has all turned out for the best. As I look back on your past, I am so convinced that what has happened hitherto has been right, and I feel that what is happening now is right too. To renounce a full life and its real joys in order to avoid pain is neither Christian nor human. And the other thing he says earlier on uh, is that This is basically my paraphrase of what he said, but he said that God is found in a place not pleasing to my nature, the cross of Christ. So he's talking about uh, how the cross is entering into suffering willingly for the sake of others. And he said, my nature doesn't like that. I don't want to enter into suffering for others, for the good of others out of love. I want to avoid suffering. But that's where God is found, in the place that's displeasing to my nature. And you can see that in his actions, and you can see it in the actions of Nehemiah, right? Remember we talked about last week that Nehemiah is basically a millionaire, and we'll see that later on that he goes over how much food he provides um, each day for the people, uh, or it might be each week, but I was thinking about it, I was like, there's no way we could, I could slaughter a cow every week for any amount of time <laughs> out of my own budget, you know? And he does it because he doesn't want to take money from the people um, as the governor later on. So he's really well off as a cupbearer, like super well off, um, like millionaire type person. And yet he leaves his comfortable place eating literally the king's food, literally eating the king's food in the biggest empire on earth. <laughs> That's unreal. And goes to this rundown place where people are trying to 
kill him to try and help him. A place that he's never been. And who empowered him to do that? God. Through what? Love. And that's the same with Bonhoeffer. He had this really nice job over in England, and he loved. He, he felt like love compelled him to go back and to serve. And that affected people and helped people. And it was really him leaning on God. And it specifically said in there that it's not that he's not afraid, uh, but that in his fear he's going to God. When I am afraid, you know that verse, when I am afraid I will trust in you. So it's not a lack of fear, but it's, it's uh, trust in the midst of fear. So first, you know, God's love changes people. We see that God's love empowers people. And I want to show you just a, ver- a chapter from the Old Testament that really highlights this. It's Isaiah 58. If you want to turn there, I'll, I'm going to read quite a few verses. Isaiah 58. This is a good. This is a good example of both points that we've already made that God God's love changes people and you know that we ought to love when we rub up against God's love makes us different changes us we want to love like God loves and then two it empowers us to do that so when we step out in love God will empower you and that really comes across in this chapter but also comes across as how essential love towards others is you know it's not enough just to be religious And you'll see that here, but Isaiah 58, verse 1. Cry aloud, do not hold back, lift up your voice like a trumpet. Declare to my people their transgression, to the house of Jacob their sins. They seek me daily, and delight to know my ways, as if they were a nation that did righteousness, and did not forsake the judgments of their God. They ask of me righteous judgments, and they delight to draw near to God. So let's pause right there. And that sounds good, right? In a way, it's like they seek God daily. They delight to know his ways. They delight to draw near. But something really important is missing. Like what? what's going to nullify all that? Like you're, you're coming near to God every day. You're wanting to know him. You're asking him for direction. Verse 3, why have we fasted and you see it not? Why have we humbled ourselves and you take no knowledge of it? Behold, in the day of your fast, you seek your own pleasure and oppress all your workers. Behold, you fast only to quarrel and fight and hit with a wicked fist. Fasting like yours this day will not make your voice to be heard on high. Is such the fast that I choose a day for a person to humble himself and bow down his head like a reed and spread out sackcloth and ashes under him? Will you call this a fast and a day acceptable to the Lord? Is this not the fast that I choose? to loose the bonds of wickedness, to undo the straps of the yoke, and to let the oppressed go free, and to break every yoke? Is it not to share your bread with the hungry, and bring the homeless poor into your house, when you see the naked to cover him, and not to hide yourself from your own flesh? Then your light shall break forth like the dawn, and your healing shall spring up speedily. Your righteousness shall go before you, and the glory of the Lord shall be your rear guard. So I'll pause right there. What were they missing? They, had, they were religious. They were doing all these religious outward things. They didn't love in their heart, and they weren't acting out righteousness. They were oppressing instead of freeing the oppressed. They were uh, being selfish instead of loving others. And God basically told them, I don't want your fast. Like, I don't want that. Like, I want the real thing. I want the heart thing. Not the outward looks really good thing. I want the real thing. And... Just look at what he's saying about if we do that, 
if we're actually loving and we're seeking to live that out, what's going to happen? Our light will break forth like the dawn. Healing shall spring up speedily. Your righteousness shall go before you, and the glory of the Lord shall be your rear guard. So there's going to be like real help. Look at verse 9. Then you shall call, and the Lord will answer, and you shall cry, and he will say, Here I am. And if you take away the yoke from your midst and the pointing finger and the speaking wickedness and you pour yourself out for the hungry and satisfy the desire of the afflicted, then shall your light arise in the darkness and your gloom will be as the noonday. And the Lord will guide you continually and satisfy your desire in the scorched places and make your bones strong. And you shall be like a water garden, like a spring of water whose waters do not fail. And your ancient ruins shall be rebuilt. Well, that sounds a lot like Nehemiah right there. And you shall raise up the foundations of many generations. You shall be called the repairer of the breach. That sounds basically like Nehemiah. The restorer of the streets to dwell in. Like that could, all that whole thing could really be about Nehemiah. Right? He came in. We see later on there's all this oppression going on, even Jew to Jew, where they're basically taking their kids as slaves later, even though they're basically brothers. Um, And Nehemiah's like, quit. And they do. But, and then he's the one that rebuilds the wall, and he is called the repairer of the breach. And so it's a really good example of how not only it's essential, if we know God, to love others, that all our religious activity without love to God is like a, glinging, um, like a gong, like a symbol, a clanging symbol. And we've got to love, but also... God will empower us and help us, and as we do it, he'll be there. He'll, the light will shine forth in the darkness. He will guide us. He will be there. He'll hear our prayers and help us. And we really see that here with Nehemiah. So we see both, and then the final thing I want to just point out is that as we're changed by God's love and we're empowered to go out and to love others, then that showing God's love impacts people. Not everyone, but it impacts people. And really, that is really a direct result of the empowering of God, right? Like he's saying, as you do this, as you act out in love and I empower you, something's going to happen. Your light's going to shine forth. The righteous, the glory of God will be your rear guard. I'm going to be there with you. And we really see that in Nehemiah. You know, he steps out and he loves this distant country who's oppressed and God helps him mightily. If you want to be in a safe place, love people. Like if you want your prayers to be heard, like pray loving prayers that you care about people. If you want God to be with you, um, ask him to fill you with love for people and help you to live that out, and he'll be there. And that's what he says, and it actually affects the world. And we really see that with Nehemiah, that this love just changes changes the world. Um, This is huge. And this is really what you know, Jesus' life was like, wasn't it? Love that impacted the world. We're not saying that every venture that you take out of love is going to succeed. And we've got a good, we've got a good example here in Jesus in Luke 17. I'll read you this short account. It says, as Jesus entered a village, he met ten lepers. And you remember what happens. All the ten lepers come to Jesus. He heals all ten. And they all... They actually leave, I think, before they're healed. And then when they're on their way, they, they're healed in the midst of being on their way. One turns back to worship Jesus, and he says, We're not ten cleansed, we're the nine. Was no one found to return and give praise to God except 
this foreigner, and he said to him, Rise and go your way, your faith has made you well. Well, there's a lot there about trusting God and returning and giving him thanks, but you know what that does show too is you love people and you serve people and you bless people. It's okay if 9 out of 10 don't even realize and give glory to God. If that happened to Jesus, then surely it could happen to us, right? And so it's a good example of like, do we pour out love just for the response? Just just only if people you know take it and really appreciate it and glorify God? No, we do it because it's the right thing to do. And it may be a lot of, a lot of it's just loss, but we're doing it because of God. And we're doing it empowered by God. And we're not doing it because we need people to tell us that's a good job or to come back and thank us or any of that. We're doing it because we love people, because we've been impacted by the loving God. And so it will impact people. Uh, That's basically the promise in Isaiah 58 is we walk in love towards others. He's going to be there and he's going to do things. But it doesn't mean every person, not every person is going to be affected. Not every person is going to be saved. But we do it. We keep pressing on anyways. And we're thankful for every measure of um, fruit that we see. And that ultimately, Nehemiah, you know, is a, is a good picture of this. You know, obviously, the, the walls were built up, but in our lives, we can, we can be like that. Um, Bonhoeffer, another example, you know, from his life, he goes in, he takes on this suffering, even though he could have just stayed in another country safe. Um, and basically, he ends up, he ends up dying um, because he was part of the resistance towards Hitler and the concentration camps and all that stuff. And he ends up dying. But even in life, his life, the end of his life in prison, he was giving sermons to people, praying with them, encouraging them to trust the Lord, and pointing people to God. And then in life and in death, the doctor uh, who, one of the doctors who saw him die, says basically, I think, I remember that. I remember when Bonhoeffer died, it was one of the times I saw maybe the most peace uh, of anyone uh, on their way to their death, um, and it struck me. And there you go, in life and in death, his love affected people in the prison camps and even when he died. um, People remembered it and thought about God, thought about how he had peace with God. And we can just ask the Lord to help us. Ask the Lord to fill us with love. Ask the Lord to not only fill us with love, but empower us both to pray and to act. And then that pray for the people. Pray for that people would be affected. And trust God in faith that they will be. That that will make a difference. That that's what God has called us to. And so, you know, I hope this sermon, you think about Nehemiah as a real person. You think about him as your friend who... Um, you go to his house and he does cry when he sees the news and he prays. You know, that's the guy Nehemiah was. That's exactly what happened here. Except it was, you know, let's see, 2,500 years ago. So, different kind of news. But the re- the heart was there. The heart of God showed in how he responded. And that's the way we want to be. We want to love people, all people. Um, and we want to be affected by the love God has. 
and be changed and be empowered and be encouraged that you can love people. You got people around you, difficult situations, um, and pray for them and ask God to fill you with love. And you know, one thing we can do to apply this is just, just to confess to God the times where we fall short. You know, we're all so short on love and ask God just like God whenever you look at people you see them as people help me to be like that and you love help me to love fill me help me empower me change me um, make me more like you bring me on thank you for Nehemiah and help help us to be more like him